This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. Kindness should be easy, right? Wrong. Kindness, the act of sitting alongside someone in empathy and putting ourselves in their shoes through compassion, is one of the hardest things that we can do. As a result, people can be nice, but they don't always act kindly. As it turns out, there are five key reasons that prevent us from being kind. Once we understand what stops kindness, we can learn and teach our way to making kindness normal again. Join me during this uplifting conversation as I dig into these key strategies for unlocking kindness in our students with Houston Craft. You'll hear heartwarming stories of kindness and you'll be moved to take action within your school, workplace, and community. Enjoy. Houston Craft, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be talking to you. I love what you're doing. We're on the same, we're speaking the same language, I think. Absolutely. So you are a speaker, a trainer, and a kindness advocate, and you work, you've actually founded uh, alongside John uh, Norlin, I believe, Character Strong, and worked with over 500 schools, events, conferences to help people to live lives of compassion and character, purpose and love. And so you do that through a number of different amazing avenues, including leadership training and professional development for educators and within the workforce. And then of course, your character workouts and the curricula that you've developed. So I'd love to hear what got you, you know, sort of briefly, what, what turned you to this and what made you become inspired to help bring kindness to everybody in the world? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think most of the work I do is premised on the concept that it's about relationships. And uh, I'll go back to that over and over again, that that I'm here because of the relationships and mentors and people that I've had in my life. And, you know, starting when I was pretty young, I had kind of an older brother figure in my life. I was an only child growing up, but uh, this guy, Michael, was four years older than me. And one of those people who was just cool for all the right reasons, like he was kind and generous and thoughtful and um, and then going into my senior year of high school, I, uh, I went to a leadership camp in Washington state, um, which has a tremendous, uh, focus and support for student leadership. And there was this guy on stage talking about how leadership, you know, I was elected student body president in my high school and really had no idea what I was doing. And if I was totally honest, a lot of it was about me mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I went to this camp and I thought I was going to learn how to plan great events and, This guy named John Norlin was on stage and he started talking about how leadership and life was about service and our capacity for compassion and our willingness to serve others. And it really changed my whole paradigm of of what my job was. You know, my job became less about my to-do list and my job was, how do I go back and make people at my school feel accepted and valued and seen and and loved? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went back to school and I started this thing called uh, R-A-K-E, Random Acts of Kindness, etc., with some friends. And, uh, over the course of that year, I just got to experience firsthand the joy that comes from being kind, you know, the, the, the things that you receive in return from the, the practice of kindness, I got hooked on it. And I think ever since then, I've been on a, a bit of a mission to, uh, you know, I was introduced to, to that purpose and that joy by some people who were really good at it. And, and in some ways that's my mission now is 
how do I help other people realize the joy that comes from serving? Oh, so good. And I think this concept of servant leadership has really gained traction, not only in education, but across the corporate sector as well. Why do you think, why do you think it's so important for kindness and for, I mean, sometimes that word kindness can really, I mean, it's almost like it needs a rebrand or something because people sort of don't always understand the depth of what that word really means. But why do you think that it's so important for us now more than ever to be really paying attention Mm. to this in, in all facets of the world? Yeah. One of the things we talk about with character strong is this premise that we're built to be relational. And yet all the data, sort of what you're alluding to all the data would say that we're more isolated and depressed and anxious than ever. Yeah. Um, and so in some ways, you know, the intentional conversation or practice of kindness, I think is the anecdote to loneliness. The hard part is the thing that we don't talk about enough, which is that kindness is harder than it looks. Uh, I, you know, one of the stories I share just about everywhere I speak is about meeting a woman named, uh, Helga on an airplane. I'm sitting next to this woman and I tell her what I do. And I talk about, I work in schools and I talk about kindness and, you know, she starts telling me this story about the last time she was on an airplane was because she found out her dad was sick and early in the morning gets this phone call and says, you got to come to Arizona right away. And she gets on a plane and literally right as she's about to take off, right as she's about to turn her phone off, she gets the news that her dad has passed away. And for three hours, she kind of sits in stunned silence until she lands in Arizona, gets off the plane, walks to the nearest wall and falls down mm-hmm. and is just crippled by this tragedy in her life. And she's, she says, Houston, I sat there for two hours crying on what had to be the worst day of my whole life. And over the course of that two hours, 3000 people were in that airport around me going to their planes or off their planes. And she goes, Houston, two hours, 3000 people, not one person stopped. Wow. And, and the next thing she said, you know, is, is sort of the foundation of everything I do. She said, you know what I realized in the airport that day, Houston is kindness isn't normal. Hmm. That's not normal in our culture to be kind. And uh, that was seven years ago, and it's, it still stays with me, that premise that, you know, it begs the question to me, even as I was listening to the story, it forced me to wrestle with the question myself of would I have stopped? Mm-hmm. And my honest answer is no. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm someone that like, believes in kindness, you yes. know, someone who does podcasts about kindness. Sure. And, and the reality is, I don't know if I would have. And, and I guess this is where that conversation comes into play of, I don't know if kindness needs a rebranding, but I think kindness, I think we need to be more honest about what kindness is, Yeah. you know, because kindness is not niceness. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget the conversation I had with a senior boy at a high school in Texas who came after a, an assembly, walked up to me and he goes, Houston, I realized while I was listening to your stories that I'm a really nice person. And I'm like, well, that's good, right? <laughs> and he goes, no. Because he starts to cry. The senior boy at high school in Texas, he's crying, and I, I don't understand. And he goes, Houston, I realize that I'm nice, but I don't think I'm very kind. Mm. And I said, but what's the difference? He goes, Houston, I think everyone thinks they're nice because nice is reactive. Mm. right? Nice is just as long as you feel like it. If someone's nice to you, you'll be nice back to them. Sure. If you agree with them, if you like them, you'll be nice to them. He goes, but I think kindness is proactive. Oh, interesting. And he referenced the Helga story. He goes, Houston... You know, I realize what you're saying, kindness isn't normal on a cultural level. He goes, I don't think kindness is normal for me. Like, I don't think kindness is my default setting. And he looks at me, tears in his eyes. He goes, I think kindness requires a lot of work and I have a lot of work to do. And I thought to myself, man, me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
And wow, and I think, wow for even being that reflective, right? Oh, I know. Kids are always have, you know, kids make the time to actually sit with some of those feelings. Whereas I think we get older sometimes it's easy just to say, oh yeah, we know what kindness is. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we, I think we, I don't think we spend enough time. So that's like the thing that I've been wrestling with a lot recently is for the past eight years, I've, I've been speaking to schools about kindness and I realized recently, like they all kind of agree with me already. Yeah. Like I never go to a school and like, what do you think about kindness? And people are like, eh. and like, <laughs> like it's never like a, you know, a mediocre response. People agree kindness is worthwhile. Yes. The thing that we don't talk about is that kindness is way harder than it looks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the question I've started asking isn't, you know, whether or not kindness is good. The question that I've started asking is like, what gets in our way? Hmm. And and I think that's a question that whether you're an adult or a student, I think we all have to wrestle with that one. So what do you think it is? What what are the elements that that stop us from having kindness as our default setting? Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's I think there's a long list and I'll try to keep it um you know, for me personally at least, I've boiled it down to a few. Um number 1 is incompetence. Mm which is just to say that there are actually, you know, kindness is a beautiful value or it's almost like a, it's a nice abstract concept. We use the word a lot, kindness. We throw kindness around like confetti. You know, mm -hmm. I love that, like that concept, but it mm -hmm. makes it seem like kindness is like this fluffy thing. And the reality is like kindness has a lot of skills underneath it that mm -hmm. support the actual action of it. You know, I think if you're going to practice kindness, well, you need to have the skill of empathy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for myself, one of the reasons I wouldn't stop to help Helga is because I, I struggle to sit with other people's suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, like the real act of empathy, sitting with someone who's hurting, requires you to be vulnerable enough to hurt yourself. And sometimes I'm not willing to do that. So true. You know, so this skill of empathy would prevent me from stopping to help, help Helga sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, that I'm not super competent at it yet. I, I got a lot of room for growth in it. Mm -hmm. I think if you're going to develop empathy, you got to have the skill of listening, active listening. And I think in a culture right now, we're incredibly distracted and we don't take a lot of opportunities to be fully present to people. We don't, you know, I think young people don't always have the vocabulary to ask good questions. We spend a lot of time in small talk. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> this isn't small talk. That's no. Um, yeah, I think there's the skill of, of grit, right? The, the, the premise that sometimes you're kind to people and they're not kind back. Yes. And sometimes sometimes we're kind to people and, and especially young people, like they'll practice kindness and they get laughed at by their peers. Yeah. Kindness is an act of courage for many young people, and and I think that requires resilience and grit. Yeah. Uh, and if we don't teach those things, if we don't have the competencies beneath kindness, then you know that's one of the things that I think stands in the way for me, and I think a lot of young people is like, if I don't know how to do a thing, then sometimes I avoid that thing. So true. I always use like the analogy of the gym. When I go to the gym, those machines confuse me. <laughs> so I'm like. <laughs> I go to like the pull-up bar and the sit-up machine because like those are basic, right? Some of these <laughs> contraptions are terrifying. And so if I don't know how to do a thing, I'll avoid, sometimes avoid doing it in the first place. Sure. So that's, that's one of them. You know, I, another one for me is insecurity, which is just to say when I'm afraid of a thing, sometimes I avoid that thing. Mm. I'm scared of the dark. I always have been. So if, if I walk into a room and I turn on the light and the light goes out, I'm not going in, you know, yeah. like when we're afraid of something, oftentimes we avoid that thing. And, you know, dark is a silly example because most of the fears that we have that are related to insecurity are, are, are rooted in personal painful experiences. Mm. Right? I think the reason why we're fearful in our life isn't just because we were born scared. We're, 
over the world teaches us to be scared and the number one teacher is pain mm. and when we experience pain in our life it, our brain the fear part of our brain just tries to protect us from experiencing that pain again mm-hmm. and so we tell ourselves like oh don't act that way or, or don't say that thing or if you do this thing you're going to get rejected or you're going to fail you're going to get laughed at mm-hmm. so it's safer right it's safer not to do the thing mm-hmm. uh, so when we're insecure about you know whether it's we're not perfect or we're going to be rejected or we're going to get laughed at or we're not going to be approved of or, or liked or whatever that insecurity is. Sometimes that insecurity drives action, right? Mm-hmm. Or inaction. Yes, exactly. It... <laughs> uh, the third one is, um, yeah, I, have, I have four things, at least for myself, that I think about a lot. In, mm-hmm. Incompetence, insecurity. The third one is um, inconvenience, <laughs> which yes. I think is just simply to say, like, sometimes I don't feel like it. Yes. Right? Or we're in a hurry all the time too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, one of the articles I read recently in New York Times, um, it, it talks about reframing the conversation of I don't have time. Mm. I don't know if you saw this one, but it says instead of saying I don't have time, say it's not my priority. Mm. Makes you take ownership, doesn't it? <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's rough, isn't it? So it's like it's not my priority to go to the doctor. Right. My health isn't my priority. Mm. I don't have time for the practice of kindness. Kindness is not my priority. And then you feel like a jerk. So, <laughs> I, yeah, but it's it is like the, yeah. I mean, you know, Brene Brown distinguishes shame versus guilt. Mm-hmm. Shame is I am a mistake. Guilt is I made a mistake. Yes. And and I love that. And she says guilt is actually healthy. Guilt motivates us into action. So sometimes it's okay to feel like a jerk when it when it causes us to reflect and say, wait a second is that actually my priority? Mm-hmm. And is this how I want to show up in my life? And if it's not, then being able to take ownership and change the direction, take some action is really powerful. Yeah. 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 So we just have to own that sometimes, sometimes our feelings are getting in the way, mm-hmm. right? It's whether it's, I feel busy, I feel overwhelmed, I feel stressed, I feel tired. I feel angry. I feel resentful. I feel jealous, right? There's a, there's a whole myriad of feelings that when I feel those feelings, they typically don't lend themselves to kind actions. Right? When I'm exhausted, <laughs> I don't feel like being kind. When I'm angry at you, I don't feel like being kind. Right. If I'm jealous of you, even if you don't know that I'm jealous of you, sometimes I'm, I'm jealous internally and that prevents my kindness towards you. Yes. And, and all those feelings, you know, so one of the questions I, I, I ask young people and, and adults and staff as well is, is, can you clearly articulate what you're fighting for? in a way that reminds you or centers you or aligns you to the understanding that um, your fight, hopefully, <laughs> is bigger than your feelings, mm. right? So if, if I can articulate, and Angela Duckler would tell you that, obviously, that you know the highest indicator of success in our life isn't GPA or IQ or SAT. The highest indicator of success is non-cognitive abilities like resilience and our ability to leverage failure into success, into yes. learning. And in her research, she says the grittiest people are the ones that are also most clear on their purpose. Yeah. Right? They understand why they're doing what they're doing. So when adversity comes, they have enough fuel in the tank to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, uh, I think we all need that clarity in our life. If, and you know, I hope on some level all of us believe that kindness is worth fighting for. Yeah. And, and that it's a and priority. If, 
Exactly. And if we can articulate that it's worth fighting for, if we believe fundamentally that it's a priority in our lives and in the world, then sometimes, not all the time, but if we're clear enough on that, then I think uh, we can, in those moments where we don't quote unquote feel like it, we can align ourselves to our fight instead of just act based on our feelings. Mm. That's really powerful. And it, it can. Yeah, I say it in a simple way, but it's not easy. <laughs> you know, sure. it doesn't guarantee it happens every time. But it certainly gives you something to fall back on mm -hmm. in those days when, when, man, you know, one of the things we talk about at Character Strong is we need to help young people and all of us, really, we need to start, stop living for happiness and start living for purpose. Mm -hmm. Because you probably know as well as I do, you being an educator, well, there's a lot of times in education as an educator where you're going to suffer. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not always going to be happy days, but if you know exactly why you're showing up, then that suffering is, is purposeful. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that suffering can lead to a much richer joy on the other side of it. Yeah. But you only, you only have the motivation to be patient in your suffering if you know what the purpose is on the other side. Absolutely. And I think it's an important message, not only for educators, but I think for anybody, for parents and for students as well. I'm sure, I'm sure that message really resonates with them as well, because there's something really empowering about knowing that, yes, you're going to encounter adversity and undoubtedly everyone does. But if you feel really, really strong in your purpose, as you say, beyond just the passion, which can be kind of fleeting, but this purposeful mm. intention behind the way that you live your life, that you can really overcome a lot. And that resiliency piece, that's where that's built. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Resilience is fueled by your reason. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we've, we've got the incompetence and the insecurity, and then the fact that it's inconvenient. Those are some elements that hold us back mm -hmm. from, from showing up in an empathic or kind way. Is, there's one more, right? The fourth? Yeah. The last one is, is inconsistency, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is, I think about it like sometimes we do a kind thing and we kind of like, we're like, we give ourselves a pass for a while. We're like, we're awesome. You know, <laughs> like we did this, this and, and in schools, you know, the, the message in schools is sometimes we have the kindness week yes. or a kindness assembly or a kindness campaign, or we make mm -hmm. kindness t-shirts and we think that we did the thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the bigger challenge is to recognize that kindness isn't a week. <laughs> kindness yes. is a lifestyle. Yes. And it's a habit. And yes. so the question then becomes, you know, if we know the research would say that 45% of our day is built on routine. 45% of our day is built on habit. So then the question becomes for me is, if I'm really honest, again, this self-reflective piece is, how much of that 45% in my average day serves me? Mm -hmm. And how much of that 45% is designed in any way to serve others? Mm. And in my building time, because I prioritize it, we give value to the things that we give time to. Mm. You know, do, do I have a habit of kindness in my life, of any, even a small thing? My favorite example is this kid named Caden Schmidt. He graduated from Sumner High School in Washington and for the last two years of high school, he uh, he would show up to school an hour early every day, and he would hold the door open as students walked in. Really, he would shake people's hands, wish them good morning. And he did it for two years. He never missed a day. And I had a chance to chat with him, and I said, "Caden, was that hard?" He goes, "Oh yeah, it was early. <laughs> he was getting to school before this before anyone else was there." Wow. And I said, "Would you do it again?" He goes, "Absolutely." I said, "You know why? Why did you do it?" And he says, "I never wanted anyone at my school to feel lonely like I did." Aww. So. 
first of all, Caden knew what he was fighting for. So even when he was tired, he was showing up. But second of all, the thing he said that really struck me, he goes, you know, Houston, I care a lot. And sometimes when you care a lot, you end up wanting to do everything. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, but my sophomore year, I realized when I tried to do everything, I ended up doing nothing very well. Mm. So he said, I decided to do one thing. And I decided to do it non-negotiably, really. <laughs> you know, he's like, I was going to be really good at this. I was never going to not show up. Mm. And so that was his one thing. That was his habit. And he did it every day. Wow. And he became known for it. And, and how cool would it be if all of us became known for something in kindness? So, you know? so true. And I love that. And I think just personally back to the 21-day kindness challenge that, that I've started, it's that's really at the crux of it. This idea that it's not, of course, just 21 days, but it's about the habit forming because you're mm-hmm. right just doing a kind act here and there or as a one-off it's it feels great and it's kind of a temporary high it's that that helper's high but the lasting ripple effects in your community and your culture you don't really see that until people show up consistently in a kind and an authentic and genuine compassionate way for one another and so that's such a great example the Caden example that that yeah, mm. that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I I think about him all the time in terms of what does it mean to to do to make this a life, you know, a lifestyle. To yeah. be kind, not just do kind things. Absolutely. Um and there is one more. A student I was at a middle school recently and a kid came up and he goes, Houston, you're missing one. Oh. I said, What's that? He goes, Important. Hmm. I said, What do you mean? He goes, When people think that they're more important than other people then they don't, they don't be as kind. They're not as kind to each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's so true, actually. What do you think that's yeah. about when you think about that? What do you think's behind, behind that, that concept of importance? Do you think that's really how people feel? I think it's probably pretty related to the insecurity piece. And I think, uh, you know, one of the, the character traits that we focus on in, um, in, in Character Strong is humility which uh, we don't define as being a, a doormat. Mm-hmm. We define as, as uh, having enough honesty to reflect on the areas where you have blind spots, to ask for feedback, and to allow yourself to be humbled and say, I don't have to be perfect, but I also have to recognize that I'm not perfect. Yes. And, and that exercise of you know, humility teaches us that we all have gaps, Mm-hmm. And humility in action says every person around me has something worthwhile about them. Mm-hmm. And everyone around me has something to teach me if I'm willing to humble myself enough to listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hard, but I think it's also very teachable. Absolutely. And I think if if you, I mean, if that's your one and only lesson that you learn in school, I think that's mm-hmm. a lesson that will serve you really, really well. Because I, I think you, it's true. Yeah. When people are able to look at the people around them and go, there is something to be learned here. It's very, very mm-hmm. powerful. So I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a, a really great point. So, yeah. so when it comes to some of the work that you, you do with educators, for example, what is what are maybe one or two things that you teach them or, or strategies or tactics that you teach them in terms of creating a culture of kindness or compassion? What are some, mm. some things that teachers might be able to take into their own practice starting this week, for example, after listening to this yeah. podcast? 
Yeah, of course. Well, you know, first of all, there's always just like lay the groundwork and people listening and probably agree already. But, you know, it's one of the things that I share when I work with staff is this idea that we are built to be relational. We're more isolated than ever. But the statistic I heard recently is the average student today has as much anxiety as the average psychiatric patient from the 1950s. Wow. And Michelle Borba in her book, Unselfie, she would say it's the empathy gap, it creates the empathy gap, which is to say as anxiety goes up, empathy goes down Yeah. naturally, Yeah. right? Because the more worried I am about what's going on in my life, the harder time I have understanding what's going on in yours. Mm. So more than ever, I think we have to fight back against that empathy gap, meaning we have to teach it explicitly. Yes. <laughs> and we have to help, um, you know, we have to do the work in education to help fill that gap. So a couple of things that we teach or that we use, um, number one, one of my favorites comes from one of our Character Strong presenters, a guy named Brian Slater, who's an amazing educator in Washington State. One of the things he started doing in his classroom, um, he's a one-to-one classroom, which means they have, you know, computers available for every student. Mm. Not that this is a requirement, but this is the way that he does it, is as students walk in at least once a week, if not more, he'll have students um, go through a a check-in process. It's an entry task. It's a do now. Mm -hmm. And it says, um, on a scale of one to five, how are you today? Mm. That's a required question. Has your name, one to five. And then it says why, and the why is not a required question to answer, but it is an option. Mm -hmm. So I could check on at a five and not respond. I could check in at a one and not respond, but I could check in at a one and tell you a little bit about why. Mm -hmm. And then they, below those two very basic quick questions, then they have some sort of review, right? A a quick um, review of the day before or the week prior. Um, And Brian uses that in a couple of ways. Number one, uh, it gives him data over the course of a whole year about mm-hmm. like the daily climate of his classroom. Sure. How cool is that? You can almost map out how students are doing over the course of a year. And you can actually so, see, I mean, th- this is really interesting to me because you could actually see how certain aspects of your curriculum could impact that overall in a classroom and to see whether those efforts are effective or not and how to, you know, to repeat even a program that's worked really well, right? So that's, that's really neat. Absolutely. If you're the person that believes in data, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the other way he uses it when we're talking through the lens of empathy is he'll just say at the beginning of class, as they after everyone's written their piece and they're about to get started, he'll say, all right, before we jump in, just so you know, three people checked in at a one today. Mm. And he doesn't say who, but he goes, in this classroom right around you, it could be the person sitting next to you, but three people have checked in at a one. Just Mm -hmm. an awareness piece. Here we go. Wow. And how and do you think that, you that impact, yeah, how do you think that impacts them? Well, it's just that, a, you know, um, one of my favorite thoughts recently that I heard from a friend, his name's David, he said, Houston, life is our awareness. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, everything that you experience in life is just what you're aware of. And the more that you're aware of, the bigger your life becomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that concept. And that's what empathy does. Yes is when you truly tune into empathy, you become more aware of the people around you. And that awareness actually expands your life, makes your life bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend Alex texted me not long ago when I was having a bad day. He goes, Houston, you know, the best gift you can give to people is perspective. Mm -hmm. Because perspective can change everything. The way you look at a thing can change everything. And I think that simple exercise is just one of those awareness tools. 
Hey, Absolutely. in this class, there's three ones. Yeah. Show up with a little more kindness today because you have that information. What are some of your favorite action projects for kindness that may have come out of your program or, or through your curriculum that you encourage students to engage in? Yeah, one of, uh, one of like the big cores of, of all of the curriculum that we have and one of the things that I've just always believed in, you know, one of the, the fundamental beliefs of Character Strong is that if people want to be good, they just don't always know what good looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the more opportunities we put in front of them to practice good, the more likely we are to take it or to build the habit of kindness in our life. And mm-hmm. One of those simple ones, we call it compliment creations. Um, and the idea is basically sentence stems that uh, promote or, you know, get the brain cruising a little bit on a way to say something genuine or kind to someone. Mm. And we talked about it in a lot of different lenses. Sometimes we'll give a, a five pound compliment or a level one compliment. And you have to be able to give level one compliments before you can start giving level two compliments or 10 pound compliments. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite activities and so a simple quick resource would be um, at compliment creations on Instagram uh, we also have stuff available in our Character Strong gym, which is part of our curriculum. Nice. Uh, but at Compliment Creations um, is an Instagram account that students help run, students who have worked with Character Strong before. And every couple of days, they put out a new sentence stem. And uh, people use them to create positivity on social media. But teachers also use them as do nows when students show up in their class. Great. Hey, stand up before you get into the content, find a partner, and give this five pound compliment. Or it might be more of a a texting-based thing or write a handwritten letter. But we just create, like, opportunities. So, for example, one of my favorites is – here, I'll give you an example of a five-pound weight. Sure. Five-pound weight would sound something like, hey, your blank article of clothing looks blank today. Mm -hmm. You are more stylish than a blank wearing a blank. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll put that up on the screen and we'll just create the space, right? Because when you provide an opportunity to practice good, kids are more likely to practice it. And you have a conversation around why is that a lower level compliment than maybe a compliment that's more like, you know, I've noticed that you're really gifted at blank. You're strong, blank, and bring a lot of blanks to this world. Yeah. Thanks for being you. you know, those wow. are two really different kinds of compliments. Yes. And I, and I really believe that through the intentional practice, you can teach kids, you know, I think complimenting people ultimately is the skill of seeing goodness in other humans and, and having the vocabulary, first of all, and the vulnerability to communicate the goodness that you see. And those are skills. Yeah. You know, the vocabulary and the vulnerability are both skills that you develop over time. So that's one of my favorite exercises. I love, I love everything that you're doing. And I, I just think it's so powerful. And I like just how you deconstruct kindness. I, I think it's brilliant <laughs> because that's what kids need. They need to have the safe space mm. to practice things that they may not otherwise be learning for a multitude of reasons. And it's not about simply blaming it on the parents or anything else, but it's just for some reason, people are feeling lonelier and that it's harder and harder to be kind. So why not give mm. the classroom space to learn how to do that? Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we sort of move on? The other thing I've been working on that'll launch here in September, so by the time you're listening to this, I think it'll be available. It's called ChooseLove.org, mm. um, and it's less straight educationally focused and more just personal development for anyone who cares about making the world a more loving place. Uh, and we break this big idea of love down into monthly practices. Cool. Uh, so month one is kindness. So if you're interested, um, I'd be happy to share more. But we kind of think about it like 
even kindness is kind of like looking at the menu at Cheesecake Factory. Like there's so many choices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sometimes there's no choice at all. Uh, and so, you know, as this conversation is, you know, alluded to a little bit, I think we need to deconstruct. Yeah. Deconstruct in a way that helps us make even the massive idea of kindness more manageable, more practicable, um, and decide on something small and specific that we create habits of habits of love in our life. Just like Caden. Just like Caden, my boy. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so what would you say, what is kindness? Uh, kindness is the intentional, uh, proactive exercise of appreciation, attention, or energy uh, towards someone or something, including yourself, uh, with the hope of making them better. Hmm. Really good. What skill or superpower does an educator need to lead with in order to be effective? Uh, well, I'm, I got a default to research on this, which is the number one thing people want in their leaders, which is what I would call teachers, is trust. Finally, what quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores across the world? The one I've been thinking about most recently is... Uh, how much bigger our life gets when you make yourself smaller in it. Such a great way to end this conversation. Houston, thank mm. you so much for making the time in this really busy schedule of yours to have this conversation. It's been really enlightening, and I can't wait to actually put some of these ideas into practice within my own classroom. So thank you so much. My honor. You're doing amazing work. We got, we got work to do together. Absolutely. And quickly, where can people find you? Uh, characterstrong.com and chooselove.org. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog, for more information. Now I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.